everyone, and welcome to yet another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. I am with Schnitzel today, and we are going to be covering a host of topics. So, first of all, Schnitzel, how are you? How is your night, evening, whatever time it is going? I'm doing great, and I am really happy that my exams are over. Like, I finally have some time to relax and, you know, listen to music, do whatever I want. And what better way to, you know, kick off the rest of the week than to start with a podcast. So let's go. It's great to have you, Shinzel. All right. So first of all, today, um, we're not going to start off with Bayern. We're going to start off with some of Bayern's so-called rivals. Saying rivals is difficult because they're not really rivals. And and if you're listening somewhere, you're probably laughing at me right now. We're going to start with Leverkusen. So I wanted to talk about Leverkusen's resurgence with Schnitzel. Um, they hired Gerardo Sione this season after getting beaten by his young boys team last season in the Europa League. And um, I wasn't happy with their opening day game against Union Berlin. It was a 1-1 draw. It was sort of cagey after the first 20 minutes or so. But since then, they've really turned it around. Their only um, notable defeat, I would say, came to Borussia Dortmund when they lost 4-3. And that was a very entertaining end-to-end game and could have really gone either way. So, Schnitzel, why don't you tell me your thoughts on Leverkusen? So, uh, for those of you who are listening and who don't know or understand why we're talking about other Bundesliga clubs, uh, the reason is that both Samrin and I, we are really passionate about the Bundesliga in general. And we support clubs outside Bayern Munich that we want to see succeed, but not at the cost of the Bundesliga title, obviously. But we'd like them to have success in both domestic competitions and in Europe. So she really is a huge fan of Leverkusen, Mönchengladbach and a few other clubs. And I really like, you know, what I see from Leverkusen. I'm obviously a huge fan of Freiburg. And we'll talk about that team later. But yeah, I'm... uh, really amazed by the you know the cohesive unit that Leverkusen has developed into and I think uh, Florian Wirtz is a big reason why they're so successful he's such an amazing talent I love watching him week in week out you know perform all the time he is one of you know fantasy Bundesliga's most you know uh, you can say special or key players and he is always a differential to have every week you know he just rewards you on a consistent basis so yeah I think they're on a roll and it's good to see that they're in second position right now ahead of Borussia Dortmund. Yes, the key is they're ahead of Borussia Dortmund, which makes me really happy because I really don't like Dortmund. They just, they annoy me. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So Leverkusen is doing great, but they are not the team without any defeats. And neither is Bayern because as we know, Bayern went down to Frankfurt. There does remain one team in the Bundesliga who hasn't suffered any defeats yet. And who's that, Schnitzel? Why don't you tell and us? That is, that is the, the team with probably, you know, the, the only team in Europe right now, I think, that uh, hasn't gone, you know, uh, hasn't, hasn't, been defeated yet in the league domestically, and that is SC Freiburg. I'm a proud Freiburg fan at this point, and Christian Streich is a legend, and I'm a big fan of his. He has so much passion. At that age, you know, just throwing punches in the air and just, you know, pumping his team up. He's just great. What he's done to this club is phenomenal. And the key players, you know, Vincenzo Grifo and Niklas Höfler, and all those players, you know, Roland Zalai, who was really, really good in the Euros, 
these are players who are a very cohesive, tight unit, and they perform so well. They give their all every single game. And though some may not like their, you know, rough physical counter-attacking style of football, I think that's best suited to, you know, dealing with the other top sides in the Bundesliga. And obviously, Wu Yong Jung, who is having a really good time at Freiburg, he didn't get many starts at Bayern, but he is doing really well at Freiburg. And uh, Teddy Son, if you're listening to this, shout out to South Korea, man. Is He's a phenomenal talent. And I feel bad that his time at Bayern didn't turn out to be as fruitful as I would have liked. But I hope he can make the return to, you know, Munich sometime in the future. Yeah, me too. I do want to ask you two things about Freiburg is when I watched him beat Borussia Dortmund, they basically had like two half chances that game and they scored off of both and they won. That does not look like a particularly well-rounded tactic for me, although it worked and I was happy that they won. The So I wonder what, Christian Strike's specialty is when it comes to how he sets up his team. So that's the first one. The second one is I've heard the argument made that if Christian Strike coached any other team other than Freiburg, he would not be the same success as he is. Let's say he comes to Bayern, completely different environment. The world might fall apart. So what are your thoughts? I think you're onto something there. And I feel Christian Streich is the stalemate for SC Freiburg. Like I cannot imagine him, picture him in any other Bundesliga club, let alone any other club in the world. And I think he embodies the club's philosophy so well. Like I know that they're not the you know biggest of clubs in Germany. The city is not the biggest of cities, and uh, you know the stadium is certainly not the biggest. But the fans are super passionate, and the team, uh, regardless of how they perform on the pitch, they definitely try and give in their all every single game and I think that's one of the things I like most about Freiburg even if they might not generate the most chances they try and be as efficient as possible which is something to admire and something that Bayern has been struggling with you know lately the game against Eintracht I was like you know what the hell is going on with that attack man like why is Serge Gnabry aiming for the skies why is Leroy Zane having an off day why is Thomas Müller not being Thomas Müller and why is Robert Lewandowski missing from close range. Like Bayern has those off days. Freiburg have less, you know, off days. They generally tend to be very efficient in front of goal. And that is why if you see most of their games this season, uh, they have lesser shots on target than their opponents. Most of the games this season. And their XG maps also usually indicate that they don't have the most chances on goal, but they tend to make the best of the chances they get. And I think that's what matters. Like they strive hard to get into those good positions and they convert from there and therefore i feel that you know this sort of style it might seem that it's not feasible in the long run it might seem that they will eventually drop points and they'll be exposed but so far they've done exceptionally well with their efficiency and they're also a major threat you know from set pieces and i think all this factors into another successful campaign in the bundesliga for them and by that i just mean a top 10 finish because you can't really expect them to finish top 3 with the personnel they have you know that being said schnitzel i could totally see them finished in the euro in the europa conference league is that it yes in the conference yes. league spots um if union could do it and union's having a pretty good time after after a first dodgy game in that competition, they went out and won their next game. But I want to bring you back to something you mentioned, shot efficiency. You mentioned Bayern's 
lack of efficiency, if anything. And there was a period last season where Bayern's XG was actually lower than their opponents, but they kept winning the games anyway because efficiency was so high. So on that, I want to ask you, what do you think Nagelsmann's approach to a first defeat will be? How do you think he will approach it? And before going deeper into that, I just want to go back to Hansi Flick in his first few days as Bayern manager. He lost two games back-to-back against Borussia Mönchengladbach and Bayer Leverkusen, and he did not change a thing. Bayern was so dominant in those two games, he didn't feel it necessary to change anything. But based on the Frankfurt game, do you also feel like there is something Nagelsmann needs to shift a little bit going forward based on the lessons from that game? I think uh, the team's strategy is just perfect at this point. Like, I don't think he needs to make any major changes. We generated so many chances. And if Trapp didn't just, you know, turn into prime Manuel Neuer, which basically happens with every single uh, goalkeeper against Bayern Munich, and it's infuriating. Uh, just a reminder, you know, last season in the Champions League against PSG, Killer Navas, man, that guy, I just hate him so much. Like, he turns into a solid brick wall whenever Bayern plays against any team, you know, he goalkeeps for like Real Madrid, you know, PTSD. I just, uh, I don't want to talk about it. Anyways, you get the, you get the idea. Bayern just, you know, brings out the best in the opposition goalkeepers for some reason. And outside of that, I don't think they would have actually won the game. Like I think at least four or five of those shots were incredible and they should have gone, you know, and hit the back of the net on any other day. Like, uh, for example, Goretzka's volley towards the dying minutes of the game comes to mind. Lewandowski's header from close range. That was a, an amazing save. So maybe on another day, they convert their chances. So chance creation is there. Shots on target are there. So I wouldn't really change anything if I were Nagelsmann. But one thing I would certainly do is rotate the players more. Like, what is the point of having such a deep bench and such a deep squad if you're not willing to rotate? You have Mark Roca, who is just invisible both in BFW and, you know, on on the first team. And you have Marcel Zabitzer, who I was really excited, you know, to have joined Bayern, but he didn't get a single start so far. Then there's Kingsley Coman, Jamal Muziel as wing options. And Tongi Nyonzu is basically just warming the bench all the time. He is such a great talent and he should be played more, especially when we're leading, you know, 5-0 against teams like Greuterfurt, you know, who are not really coming back from that scoreline. We should really be subbing in those players. So I think that's what Nagelsmann should do. He should be more willing to substitute and, you know, rotate his players so they remain fresh for the, you know, when the fixture list gets heavy. I totally agree there. And a main point of concern for me is uh, Joshua Kimmich, as well as Leon Goretzka, because something looks a little bit off in the Bayern midfield. At the beginning of the season, I wasn't agreeing with this, but lately, like even watching them from for Germany, just something is, there's some issue with balance, I think. And I don't know what exactly it is, but Bayern looks a little cagey to me just in the midfield area just a tiny bit cagey and a little less confident than what I'm used to seeing so I am really interested in seeing how Nagelsmann bounces back from this defeat because I do think it's a little different from the flick era where we were because those losses to Leverkusen and Gladbach were just freak losses like those how they happened is still beyond me but the one to Frankfurt Upa Meccano had a really bad day in that game a really bad day. And Upamecano has bad days. That's like, that's not understating it. He had bad days when 
he was in Leipzig to a certain fella called Erling Haaland, gave him nightmares whenever they played. So based on, and even yesterday, I was watching France against Spain in the Nations League and Upamecano had a tough time in that game too. So it's, for the most part, he was solid, but for, um, but for Spain's goal, I definitely say he had a really tough time. So for Upamecano and Benjamin Pava, who has been a consistent topic for us over over the weeks, and if in is listening, he's probably applauding somewhere. Uh, I want to ask you, what do we do about these two? Because these these could be problems in really big games. Like David Alaba, for example, was a problem in a few big games, and Manuel Neuer bailed him out. But Neuer won't always be there to bail him out. Like Neuer wasn't there against Frankfurt to bail. Um, he was there in the game, but he couldn't make the save to bail. Um, Byron out. So what do you think is a solution to this problem? Or is there a solution and we just keep rolling with Upamecano, hoping that he's no longer a talent, but he's actually a world-class player at some point? Yeah, the thing about Upamecano is even at his time, uh, you know, in RB Leipzig, like he was one of obviously their best uh, central defenders. And he was a really, really amazing talent from a very young age. He's been consistently performing as a first-teamer. I think he made his, uh, you know, first-team appearance in the Bundesliga quite early. Like, I think it was 19 or 20 at that time for RB Leipzig. And he, yeah, he was incredible from that young age. You could see, you know, the flashes that Tongi Nyonzu is showing us at this time. You know, the quality, the positioning, the tackling expertise. But he has always struggled, uh, you know, usually in the big games against, you know, a difficult op- opposition like um, last season for example the game against Liverpool he was not good at all like he was probably you know directly responsible for two of those giveaways so he wasn't good against Liverpool he generally doesn't uh, do amazingly well in you know big games and it might be the pressure and we also have to consider the fact that he's pretty young for a central defender. He's still 22 years and we're expecting a lot from him. Like he has a huge learning curve to go through. He is playing for one of the big clubs, if not the very best in the world. And that carries a lot of you know weight on your shoulders and it's a lot of pressure. So we might have to take it a little easy on him. But that being said, when you're playing for Bayern, you're expected to perform week in, week out. So I think this is like a, a starting, like a beginner's rut. But I don't think it's a huge concern. He should find his rhythm with time. But that being said, I don't see anyone more deserving of a starting spot in central defense than Luca Hernandez and Niklas Zula. Those two are lock-ins for the center-back position. But uh, Benjamin Pavard, on the other hand, is a completely different issue. And uh, one that really pains me because I was very happy, you know, uh, during his first season at the club, he was incredible. But now he's just... I don't know what's happened to him, man. Like, he just doesn't look the same player. It's like FIFA decreased his skills, his rating on every single facet of the game. And that actually happened in real life. Like, he got an upgrade, sorry, a downgrade in real life. And every single thing was cut from his usual skill levels. He isn't even as good a defender as he was before. Like, you know, wingers are just going past him like he's nothing, like a traffic cone. And uh, yeah, he's not as bad as Bunazar yet, but like the signs are worrying. So <laughs> I think uh, we should hopefully see an improvement in his performances or he just gets benched the rest of the season and Niklas Zula starts. You know, I'm like, I'm all for Niklas Zula starting because I really do think like you that our most, our most um, 
stable center back pairing are Luca Hernandez and Nicolas Zule. And Zule's contract situation is really, it really pains me because I don't know why the bosses at Bayern don't have enough confidence in him. I don't get these people. I just don't understand. Yeah, I think uh, Phil Bonney put it best in one of the Bundesliga games he was commenting. He was like, Niklas Zule running towards an attacker is akin to a refrigerator going at, you know, <laughs> 34.5 miles per hour at you. And you just, you know, lose, the, lose your shit. Like, you lose your calm and you don't know what you do when, you know, such a huge, menacing and really physical defender comes rushing at you. And I think that's one of the main reasons why we should extend him. You don't get a player of that quality, that size, that speed and that awareness, you know. And he's still 25. He's, I think, turning 26 soon. He's young. He has so much to offer. And we should extend him. If he leaves on a free, I think we should just sack Brazo. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you extended Goretzka and Kimmich, man. But you're letting such a top centre-back leave for peanuts for nothing. And that is just poor business. I know Bayern have this policy of handing players on a free because, you know, we are very generous and we do a lot of, you know, social service. But please don't do this to Bayern players who have, you know, a lot left in their tank. I was sad with David Alaba leaving for a free, imagine my disdain if Nicolas Zula goes on a free. Yeah, it's no, uncomparable. I get it. Yeah, I get it. Um, we didn't. This just reminds me about Tony Kroos. We didn't let him go for free, but we did let Tony Kroos go because the bosses did not have confidence in him. And really, like, I don't know where he would have perfectly fit in, but that Tony Kroos is still bitter about it, I guess, because he I, has think Tony Cruz, uh, I think Tony Kroos. I think Tony Kroos fits perfectly in Real Madrid because you know. <laughs> The reptiles, you know, the reptiles <laughs> having a good time together. That's his yeah, it's, it's, it's perfect fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, years back, we let uh, Lucia go. And in a twist of irony, this is in 2009 to 10, Lucia joins Inter Milan and Inter Milan beats us in the Champions League final with Lucia on their team. Oh, the irony. Okay. So on Nicolas Zule. So Zule, Zule's versi- versatility is another reason why I feel like Bayern should definitely extend him especially with his newfound talent as a right back and uh speaking about right backs i want to get into germany's right back and left back situation so uh reed labaco was left out of the squad for flick flick apparently had a conversation with both reed labaco and his coach mark van bommel i wonder how that conversation went and he let them both know that he let them both know the reasons why he had left baco out of the squad but while um, In and I disagreed on this, I didn't. I thought he did okay for Germany and didn't think his performances were up to the mark. But I really feel like Flick should try him again. Like it plays Zule, if you're using Zule at a center back position, then you have to try, try Reed Labaku at right back. And I feel like you really have to give Christian Gunter a, a shot at left back because we just we don't. There is no better option. If you're not going to give people a chance, it's not going to happen. And I love Flick, but we also know Flick tends to stick with who he likes and who he loves. That's how Luca Hernandez, better than all of our center backs, ended up on the bench behind David Alaba when Flick was around. So I don't know, man. What are your thoughts on this? I think I think uh, Tilo Kerr made like a secret <laughs> agreement with Flick, you know, before the Champions League final. If I shit the bed terribly, if I play really bad, and if I cause PSG a loss, then you should give me a permanent spot in the Champions League, uh, sorry, in the uh, Germany national team, you know, st- starting 11. So I think Flick is repaying that. He doesn't have a choice. It was probably an agreement of some sort. And yeah, Tilo Kero was terrible against us, you know, oh, in the Champions League yeah, final. Yes, it was. And therefore, he is starting for 
every game, uh, you know, for Germany recently because he's he's kept his word. And uh, although that is good for Bayern, it really pains me to see. I, he hasn't done really, you know, poorly, actually. I think he's been fine. But uh, OK is not the level we're cutting it at at the DFB level. We want the best players to start. And Christian Günther, he's performing season in, season out for Freiburg. Man, he deserves a start at left back. Like, he is so good going forward as an attacking left back option. He has pace. He's physical. And he has everything you want to look for in a Germany left back. And he is, you know... I think the best, he's better than uh, Robin Gersens, in my opinion, like hands oh, yeah. down. It's oh, not even okay. a debate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I was, I was, you know, crying blood. I was literally weeping bloody tears when I was seeing Robin Gersens and Joshua Kimmich on the flanks under Yogi Love, And that brings back really oh, bad God. memories. Good riddance. I hope he Good. never comes back ever. You know, I'm just so happy. But anyways, if Flick has to make, you know, changes and take Germany forward, I think he needs to give such players a chance. And yeah. I think the same about David Raum as well. Yes. He's a yeah. really mm-hmm. bright talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it really bothers me to see Jonas Hoffman being used as a fullback wing back of any type because that's not what Jonas Hoffman does. Um, I watched, like you mentioned, Borussia Mönchengladbach week in, week out. He's kind of he's so much better on either the wings or in like a Thomas Muller type of position or making runs from deep in where no one can spot him. And you could tell that he's a very good attacking talent in Germany's last game, but defensively, like that's not his job. And he got, and he ended up getting caught out a few times, but I felt for Antonio Rudiger in that game. And I never feel for Antonio Rudiger because, Oh God, just no, <laughs> but I really felt for him because having to defend for Tilo Kehrer and himself really took a toll on this guy. And it's just, it, Flick has better options. Hell, he has a whole league to select from. It's no longer his teeny tiny Bayern squad to pick from. And Christian, and I think when you can do it for a mid-level club that Christian Gunter does week in, week out, I honestly think it makes you a better candidate because you don't have the same resources at mid-level clubs. So often you're making up for other deficiencies in your team. And if you can perform so consistently, then you definitely deserve a chance for Germany. Hell, if Timo Werner is still getting a chance game in and game out, I don't understand why Christian Gunter can't get it. Uh, don't remind me of that. I honestly don't know why he's even getting selected. You know, to Germany's squad. I know oh, he was good yeah. at Leipzig, but right now he's just atrocious. Like he should be nowhere near the starting back. eleven. Mm-hmm. He cannot score a goal to save his life. No. Even the ones he scores are just complete flukes. Like he's just lucky, you know. Yeah. And I, I remember uh, when people credited him for an assist in the previous international break when the ball re- rebounded <laughs> off his butt and you know fell 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 for I think uh, Serge Gnabry yeah. uh, if I remember correctly yeah so I mean like if you if you're raising the, if you're lowering the bar to as low as you know counting you know a rebound off your butt as an assist I don't even know what to say I think he should be benched in favor of Kai Havertz, who hasn't been getting chances lately. And, you know, I think he's a much better player in all facets. Like, Timo Werner can't hold up the ball for feeding his teammates. He sucks in the air because he's very short. Mm -hmm. He he can't even jump that high. Uh, He only has pace. That's the only thing he offers. And what good use is pace 
when you're just running and you're not carrying the ball with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not a sprint. It's not a running race. It's football. You're so on this deserved more starts, in my opinion. And that was primarily because obviously Flick wanted a player who would help it build up play. But towards the end of the season, the way Bayern was shipping in goals, I just think he just started Alaba because he just preferred starting the player for no reason. Because yeah. defensive stability over, you know, build up because shipping three, four goals every game means you have to outscore your opponents by like two, three goals, mm-hmm. which means you have to score six. Mm-hmm. That's not the position you want to be in. Yeah. And that's what I like about Nagelsmann Bayern. He's titled, he's tightened that defense. And Lucas and Zula, they are such a good defensive pairing. Mm-hmm. And that is why I don't get a heart attack every time I see a counter launched at Bayern. Yeah. I don't have to worry about Boateng, you know, slipping oh, and falling yeah. anymore. Yeah. I don't have to worry about David Alba heading to the opposition player anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about all that. We have a much better backline, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Aside from the fact that none of our right backs are doing really well at the moment, I think Josip Stanisic uh, should get more starts. Yeah. Because yeah. he's our best option, all mm-hmm. things considered, at mm-hmm. right back. Yeah. But yeah, our defensive situation is much, much better than it used to be. Mm-hmm. And I think Hansi Flick should also take that into consideration and give more starts to Ridley Baku. He should not even think about taking Kimmich to right back. No, no, That's no, no, not no. for that's discussion. Not, yeah. That's not, that's yeah. not going to happen. Aren't because Timo Kimmich Werner? would kill him. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. On Timo Werner, I feel like if the season doesn't work out at Chelsea, he needs a transfer. Because he's, I remember him at Leipzig and he looked a threat. He just, he's trying, he's, you can tell he's trying really, really hard. And I really feel for him because he doesn't look even, he doesn't look like half the player that he used to be. So Chelsea has a tendency to do that to people. And I think the move either back to the Bundesliga or Serie A. Timo Werner transfer? You Sounds know. like you're trying oh, to Yeah, yeah. Razo is going to scoff at that idea. And I'm pretty sure uh, um, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge is too. Because I think they both wanted Leroy Zane at the club and not Timo mm-hmm. Werner. And yeah. it's worked out pretty well so far. I wouldn't yeah. say it was probably us dodging the, the most massive bullet I've ever you know witnessed in Bayern transfer history that was it was good we didn't sign him mm-hmm. you know in, in, in hindsight yeah. yeah speaking of RB Leipzig um, they are one of those clubs who just somehow managed to pass the 50 plus one rules in Germany yeah. but they really don't in England there is no such thing as 50 plus one and there is news of yet another takeover and just as just because we are fans of a fan owned club I thought it's it would be great to talk about this Saudi takeover at Newcastle and ooh, Man City, watch out. There's someone coming for your throne. So, Schnitzel, what are your thoughts? Uh, I'm just, you know, waiting for the, you know, point in the Premier League's uh, historical timeline when all the Middle Eastern powers, they just <laughs> engage in wars on the pitch against each other at this point. Like Saudi Arabia against Qatar is going to be a pretty big thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia against Dubai. And it's just, you know, Russia against Saudi Arabia. Like, what even is going on? Like, I don't even understand. Like, so many oligarch uh, owned clubs, so many big, wealthy, influential people just buying clubs. Now, I'm expecting Newcastle to have a huge injection of cash and they're just going to go on a huge spending spree. Nothing we haven't seen so far and nothing that's going to change in the future. It's going to be the battle of the Amirs. And, you know, 
a loss for true football fans at the end of the day yeah. because this just removes the life out of you know the whole fan owned atmosphere the whole you know the football passion the the whole feeling of you know togetherness the feeling of family it's all just a corporate venture now you mm-hmm. want to buy a player you just get him there's no you know there's no negotiation like you just throw cash at the player like pep guardiola is basically a spoiled teenage girl with a credit right. card with unlimited cash yeah isn't that that is just depressing and i know many people might disagree with me but i think pep guardiola might not enjoy as much success in you know uh, at a club like bayer leverkusen mm-hmm. or you know for example aston villa as he is with man city because oh, he has mm-hmm. required clubs to give him you know all the players he wants and an unlimited supply of cash to purchase anyone he wants which is why i think he never won the champions league with bayern mm-hmm. he never had that all the players that he would have required mm-hmm. but i just feel bayern would never do that and i'm happy you know that yeah. the bundesliga is preserving its integrity as much as it pains to see the premier league clubs rise to stardom from nothing and i think newcastle is also going to be in the top 10 top 15 conversation soon because of all this cash mm-hmm. it's uh you know tough as a bundesliga fan watching these clubs struggle against the english clubs you know mm-hmm. every single season the champions yeah. league and in the europa league mm-hmm. but it's just you know how it is and we just have to be ready for you know the the sheikhs throwing money at each other yeah <laughs> just just a money battle I know it's yeah. it's a it's a depressing landscape. But in Germany, even the clubs that are not fan owned, Leverkusen, Wolfsburg, Leipzig is another conversation for another day. Hoffenheim included, actually. They their fan bases are close to home. They Leverkusen and Wolfsburg both started as workers' clubs, you know, Die Werkstatt and whatnot for Leverkusen. So it's. even those clubs are not getting daily billion dollar cash injections to like buy whoever they want that's why they're not winning the league every season or in Leverkusen's case ever and that's why yeah. and then there's they, and know. there's Pep who gets like a billion dollars every season and he still manages to you know bottle the champions know. league mm-hmm. yeah, yeah 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 it's, it's almost mean, irony in terms of Pep. yeah Yeah. That is the one thing. That's the one consolation I take from the whole, you know, situation is that I don't think PSG or Man City they're going to win a Champions League anytime soon, and that gives me so much pleasure because no matter how much money you inject, you just just cannot make it. Yeah, you know that's how yeah. it is. And they have Messi, they have Neymar, they have Mbappe. You know, PSG they mm-hmm. have arguably the best squad on the planet. you know in terms of how much they've invested on each player how much mm-hmm. each player is worth to the club mm-hmm. and you know how influential each player has been you know for the last you know for the majority of the previous decade mm-hmm. but that, that considered they're still losing to clubs like Rennes 2-0 <laughs> i mean I know, what's I more shameful that. than and that and i don't i don't think yeah. they had a shot on target in that game or something along they the didn't line. they didn't yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so at the end of the day you cannot buy passion with money No, you know you it has to come from within yeah. so unless your team is a cohesive unit you mm-hmm. have to have a coach who really understands the club philosophy and you have to fight for a common goal you don't mm-hmm. get you know success yeah. and, and yes chelsea yeah yeah true that you can argue that chelsea did kind of by their way into the champions league last season oh, yeah. you know with all the transfers they made you know kai havertz timo werner chilwell and all those players who just you know 
came in that splash Chelsea purchased which is like 250 or 300 million pounds something crazy like that uh it's still it's still you know i think a uh, large uh, portion of that credit goes to Thomas Tuchel because mm-hmm. his philosophy brought success to that club i don't think they would have attained those heights under mm-hmm. frank lampard you know mm-hmm. and for that matter uh you know most of the premier league uh, club managers other than a few, I don't think uh, any of them are, uh, you know, as tactically astute as the managers we see in the Bundesliga in Germany. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think the quality of German managers is much higher. Mm-hmm. And you can see that. Almost all the top managers in the world are German. Yeah. I don't even yeah. want to talk about Mikel Arteta to prove my point oh because my it doesn't need proving. <laughs> I know In loves talking about Arsenal with you. I'm not going to do that because I don't want to put Please you in pain even further. Yeah, oh, yeah. So goodness. let's not talk about that. But yeah, you can see most of the top managers in the world, German mm-hmm. managers, and yeah. they it's more to do with the philosophy that brings about success at the club. Yeah. yeah. Um which leads me to mention Bo Svensson at Mainz. What a great job he did last season. I cannot believe Mainz escaped relegation last season. They had yeah, what, yeah. like five points, like when he took over something like that and no team has come back from that and fought back in the second half of the season to actually survive. And then this season, they started off with a win against Leipzig and they've had some up and down results, but in no game, can I say that Mainz has truly performed poorly? They yeah. Bo Svensson, limited squad. In, in all honesty, was my manager of the Bundesliga last season. Yeah, he was incredible. For sure. Yeah, hands down, sure. hands down. And some would say it's got to do with, you know, the Costco-like knockoff, you know, <laughs> hoodies that he wears game in, game out, and those, uh, you know, sweatshirts and pullovers. Yeah. But I would say it's it's a lot more than that. It's his tactical acumen and the way he structures his team. Yeah. It's incredible how he gets so much out of a team that cost, you know, a tiny fraction of what it costs to build some of the top Bundesliga sides. Yeah. So, yeah, marvelous, marvelous. And I could uh, see him, you know, coaching Bayern at some point in the future if Nagelsmann's stint doesn't go as planned. So, Nagelsmann, if you're listening, maybe time to rotate the team a bit more, buddy. <laughs> I'm you telling know, you. If you want like, to keep your job. He himself talked about not running the squad into the ground. Maybe he should take his own advice, but we're going to see. All right, Shinan, so on that note, we are going to wrap up. This was great. Thank you so much for joining me today. So as you guys know, we love your feedback and appreciate all the support. Be sure to stay tuned to Bavarian Podcast Works for all of your up-to-date coverage on Bayern Munich in Germany. Follow us on Twitter at Bavarian FB Works, at Jefferson Fenner, at The Barrel Blog, at Tommy Adam 71 at BFWN, and more. So that's it from me, Samrin. In, um, Schnitzel, do you have any final words for our audience? I'm just going to say that I hope you enjoyed the podcast. And yeah, vielen Dank und auf Wiedersehen. Take care, everyone.